Show. It's Stephen Rose. Stephen Rose. Stephen Rose. Stephen Rose. Bringing you entertaining and inspiring guests. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome to another edition of the world-famous, world-renowned and award-winning Stephen Rowan Show. I'm Stephen Rowan and today's guest is Joe Parrish. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. Your pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've not watched the show before, get ready. We're going to have fun, there's going to be hilarity. Most importantly, there's going to be knowledge bombs. Every single guest in the show is here because they've got something amazing to give. It may well be that they've came through adversity, it may well be that they've lived a life slightly different, or they may well just be a high achiever. And today's guest ticks all three boxes, that's right. Joe's going to be talking about uh, how much he loves Boris Johnson, I'm only kidding on. Uh, he's going to be talking about uh, his life as a professional bodybuilder, he's going to be talking about his life as a PT, and he's also going to be telling us about cycling unassisted with no previous experience, the length of the UK. That's right, what kind of man would do John O'Groats to Land's End without really having been on a bike? Without actually owning a bike. Uh, so we shall begin. Uh, remember, like, share, subscribe, retweet, rename your firstborn. You can listen to this on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. You can watch it on YouTube, whatever you're into. Tell a friend. If you're struggling what to get somebody for Christmas, just give them the hyperlink. I would say that it's going to be here, but I can't actually be bothered doing that in post. So www.stephenroundshow.com. Uh, send money if you like it. Just send money if you don't like it. I don't really care. Anyway, Joe, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you, sir. How are you? I'm good. I've not done a podcast in quite a while. No. Has so this one of your podcast guests ever made you breakfast before? No, I've actually had a delicious breakfast. I was just putting that down. Uh, yeah, I had a delicious breakfast of spinach, tomatoes, turkey bacon, black pudding and scrambled eggs. And it, was all, yeah, it was all really nice. I'm in, actually in Joe's lovely house just now in... The middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> but it's beautiful. I was actually just outside and I realised how fresh the air is. Because it is quite nice, isn't it? Mate, it's nice being out of the city and in the countryside. And we've brought down the average age of the uh, village by about 45 years as well. So the uh, local primary school, I think, is hoping for some offspring very, very soon. But oh. they're going to be waiting some They'll be waiting some time. Uh, you see that now, but Christmas is coming up <laughs> and you're going on holiday for a romantic break. <laughs> Uh, how's the pace of life out here slightly different, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, as you're saying this obviously earlier with obviously having the puppy and stuff now, it's fantastic just because it's so calm, chilled out, quiet, relaxed, and we're only 15, 20 minutes into Stirling, 45 minutes into Glasgow, but just being out in the countryside, yeah, it's fantastic. We absolutely, we absolutely love it. Joe's got a dog that may well be in the background of Joe's camera. Yeah. She's currently eating some cheese, so yeah. we'll wait and see. So if Joe moves his head from left <laughs> to right, then there may well be a dog in frame, but yeah. we've got it uh, locked on, so uh, hopefully the dog will come through and not disturb anything. So, Joe, obviously from your accent, you're not from around these parts. Yeah. Uh, Background-wise, I should say that I've obviously been aware of you from your Instagram profile. I've watched you speak a couple of times at SFN. Yeah. And it's amazing how you can delve into somebody's life on Instagram, but then have a certain kind of impression of them, and then you actually meet them in real life, and you're just like, yeah, the guy is a dick, and I'm looking on. <laughs> no, but you can have that thing where like you you have like a like a very small idea of what somebody's like through social media, which yeah. is of course is so important to you. Yeah. But then actually, when you sit down, because we were lucky enough to be a, a wedding together, which was because we ended up sitting down talking for ages and ages. Uh, so how did you end up in Scotland? Uh, so basically, mate, obviously originally, as you correct, not from Scotland. And there's so many people say that to me as well. Where are you from Scotland? I don't sound like you're from Scotland. I've been here now for nine years. So does that classify me as a resident? 
Yeah, no, definitely. Am I, am I half Scottish at least? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you're going out with Leanne, so yeah, definitely. You've been vouched for. <laughs> yeah, so being, so being here for nine years now, previously was uh, playing full-time down in the south coast of England, so playing for Torquay United for two years. Left school, moved there uh, when I was 16, played for two years. Wasn't good enough to kind of make it. So it. you'd left your home to go and play with the club, so you'd left your family home? Yes. And were you staying in the dicks? Yeah, so we basically lived in a house with... Uh, seven or eight other lads and we then had a lady who looked after us so she basically did our cooking our cleaning and everything else uh, we all basically had shared rooms which was uh, a fantastic experience obviously when you're 16 you leave home and uh, all you then do is you get paid 60 quid a week at the time which was for me was amazing because obviously before that I'd only ever had a paper round so I was like oh just getting paid to play football that's amazing and obviously just living with your mates and getting the opportunity to play football every day and, and obviously get the opportunity to have some fantastic experiences and exposure uh, was was brilliant and then yeah I was there for two years I uh, yeah, didn't make the cut and ended up going to some exit trials and uh, Sterling University had a scout there who picked me up and uh, basically offered me a a contract and offered me a scholarship and I will be honest I didn't want to come uh, if it wasn't for my mum who basically just said you're going to be an absolute donor if at least you don't go for the trial so they'd offered me just to come up and play in a trial game and I was like I can't be bothered to go all the way to Scotland just for one game of football to then fly all the way home because fuck Scotland right <laughs> I used to listen to I used to listen to weather reports when I was at school, and obviously all these Scottish all these Scottish schools used to be off all the time for snow, and I'm like, oh, you bastards, because you literally in where I come from in Devon, you never you never got a day off school because of the snow, and I'd literally never been to Scotland before, and I just thought having to get up at like 3 a.m. to catch a flight to come to Scotland to hire a car to play a game of football to then come all the way up down again, I was like, I'm not really sure I want to do that. Plus, it was a million miles away from home. And uh, if it wasn't for my mum convincing me, yeah, I would have never have would have never have endured the trip. And uh, yeah, luckily got offered a scholarship, and um, university fees were much much cheaper. Uh, obviously, I was going to get a scholarship, and uh, just thought, you know what? Didn't really have anything else to do. Lola's coming in. Um, didn't really know what else I was going to do, so I just thought, yeah, that was going to be the best next move, which would have given me the opportunity to both study and also continue kind of my playing career, although that didn't last very long. So see, when you were living in the house with like the other guys, yeah. uh, what was that environment like? Was everyone talking about like strategy and were they, everyone stretching uh, during the night and talking about cardio <laughs> or was it more like... We need to hammer this out until Friday, and then we can go out in the beers. <laughs> I think it's a bit. I think it's a bit of both. I think obviously when you're when you're that age, you're obviously focusing on where you want to be. Everybody's obviously fighting for the same thing because obviously when it comes to obviously gaining a professional contract, there's obviously only so many that are available. Um, so I think obviously there's part and parcel with obviously that. There's the competitive side of things, but obviously at the same time you're now living with these guys five six days a week. You're going to training with these guys, you're eating with these guys. So you obviously just develop friendships as well and you obviously create commonalities. Um, and obviously... <laughs> if anyone's worrying what that audio bleed that's, is, that, oh, there we go. That's Lola on Neighbourhood neighbor Watch. Lola! <laughs> <laughs> this, is this is real life. We can cut this bit Yeah, out. yeah, no, no, it's fine. I'll leave it in. It's, it's, it's nice to have wildlife. They say never work with children or animals, so this is oh, quite interesting. Yeah. This, L is, this is Lola on Neighbourhood Watch. Lola? So the, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, she, will she calm down? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hold on a minute, two seconds. Okay. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, these kind of things happen, and uh, 
Yeah, I suppose that's just the magic. But we're talking earlier about dogs and how important it is to have dogs, how important it is to have animals. And if you're thinking you'd like to get one, obviously I don't know when you listen to this, it may well be in the run-up to Christmas, go to the RSPCA and you might want to actually think about getting it's something. A goldfish. No, 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 getting, <laughs> get, getting, you know, get, getting something from the... From the kennels or you know a dog that's been abandoned so that's my message think about getting a dog if you do want a dog a dog is not for christmas a dog is for life uh, sorry where were we um yes yeah, so competitive competitive I mean, is um, everyone going for the same position like was everyone midfielder or striker no, not necessarily but obviously when you've got 13 14 guys you know that obviously there's only potentially going to be a couple of contracts that are given out especially at a small club like Torquay. we know that obviously the budget wasn't massive um and uh, there weren't there weren't as many opportunities um so yeah i think obviously you develop fantastic relationships with these people that have become your friends you live with them you obviously spend uh, almost every waking minute with them you win together you lose together and it taught me so much in all honesty about um, life teamwork building relationships uh, i was fortunate enough to then be the captain within my second year so obviously just then being able to liaise between did First you get did you get anyone else to like jump on a desk and shout captain on my captain? <laughs> no. Unfortunately, <laughs> Mr. Trick. Unfortunately not. So I've obviously got the opportunity to liaise between obviously um first team players, staff, then obviously our kind of managerial team and obviously was the kind of middle man I suppose. So uh, that was obviously a fantastic experience for me to kind of lead I suppose in a way and it taught me so much. Uh, obviously made me realise at points I was very vulnerable, uh, but also at times when it mattered and it counted, the ability just to kind of stand up and make it happen and, and, and kind of lead from the front as well as something that I certainly learned. And I by no means was the uh, most talented of footballers. And uh, I probably, for what I for, for what I lacked in talent, probably made up in hard work, in all honesty, which is probably why I was then made made the captain because it certainly wasn't for my footballing abilities it was probably just my abilities just to work harder than everybody else I suppose a lot of professional footballers are demonized or it seems to be that they're fair game for tabloid press yeah whether that be for womanizing whether it be for drug alcohol abuse it always seems that around the bits of festive period there's some footballer that's been you know whatever do you think they're under more pressure or do you think it's just they're given so much power on the park that when they come off, they can't behave. That's not me saying every football player, but yeah. it just does. It does seem that there is a correlation. I think obviously, when 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 financially, obviously you're in a very lucrative position. Don't get me wrong, at Torquay, you were never going to be in a position where financially things were going to be great because obviously the budget the club had, obviously at the time they were in League Two. Um, I think so. Obviously, with with the with the finance behind them, and I suppose especially if you're young free, single, um, obviously you have a lot of attention and you are well known, I suppose, absolutely. I suppose everybody for a period of time will go through stages in their life where they just potentially do things that later in life they may regret or look back upon. I suppose it's just a lesson that I suppose sometimes you have to learn learn the hard way. And uh, absolutely, I, I certainly know a couple of people where it almost maybe gone to their head somewhat and they lived that kind of life. But I think... Uh, yeah, it comes down to the the, ind- the, the individual per se. And um, yeah, you know that sometimes if the fame, the finance or the power can potentially get to your head sometimes, sometimes, yeah, you can then potentially do things that aren't necessarily in alignment with your values and or what you obviously believe in later down the line. But I think it's a, it's a great learning curve, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose if you threw lots of money or in fame at like pretty much anyone, whether it be a, a young farmer, an accountant, you're going to get like a, 
yeah. you get a certain return on that. And I think it's sometimes as well when it comes to like finance, I can't remember who the guys listening to is just basically saying that when you have money, all it does is just amplifies what you are anyway in terms of what you value and, and where you are in life and how you how you perceive the world as well I suppose so yeah absolutely don't get me wrong I think everybody in every walk of life um will obviously sometimes do things that are out with their nature but I think obviously with footballers because there's so much limelight and there's so much exposure and there's so much media I think obviously that, get, that gets massively amplified yeah just as, pumped right up as as well in comparison you know if Jim Bob Jones did it down the road no one's going to know about nobody's it nobody's going to bat an eyelid but because it's obviously a story I think that sells the newspaper massively what was the training like a physically skills versus sort of strength based um, when, when I was there so that would have been nine years ago now which is scary really um yeah when i was seven, 17 26 now so yeah nine years ago um it there wasn't an awful lot of strength conditioning there wasn't a lot of sports science back then it was more predominantly kind of very very old school the manager that we had at the time was very very old school as well so like to give you an example we're only did ever... you have a big sheepskin coat and like <laughs> a silk shirt with big gold cufflinks no unfortunately not again probably wasn't getting paid enough <laughs> it probably wasn't getting paid enough but he was he was very very old school. Obviously, he had to wear black boots. Um, we had to clean the stands. We used to have to clean all the first team's football. You know, all, the, all of their kind of boots. And uh, yeah, I think it was that that taught me a lesson. That certainly taught me a lesson as well because you certainly weren't allowed to kind of go above your you know above your stations. And if you were gonna if you were getting a little bit too big for your boots, you certainly got taken down a notch or two. So certainly the way in which that was kind of coached into me then, yeah, I certainly think that. It was more based on like hard work. There was a lot of obviously fitness involved like pre-season and that was grueling. Sometimes we'd be doing two, three sessions a day. During the season is obviously difficult because we used to um, play every single week, sometimes twice a week. So then it's just managing obviously like training, performance, recovery. And uh, now I, I suppose probably if I was to go back, I would... I wouldn't do things very differently, but I'd expect things to be done very, very differently with how um, strength conditioning and sports science and the importance of that has kind of evolved. And don't get me wrong, the clubs at the higher levels will have certainly been doing it back then. But I think with the level that we were playing at the time, with the resources and the infrastructure, um, yeah, we we played a lot of football. We also had to do a lot of other stuff around the first team. So you basically um, were the support for the first team. So we spent like cheerleading and stuff. Or? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes cheerleading. Like we got to a point one time. I remember when uh, we weren't doing so well. Uh, the first team weren't doing so well, and the manager at the time wasn't happy with the atmosphere of the ground and in the environment, and everything else. So he made, luckily not, me, luckily not me, because I was in my second year, and he made all the first year kind of uh, youth youth team or apprentices do it at the time. But basically, stand in each corner, four corners of the ground, and wave a flag constantly for ninety minutes. So yeah, so literally, so cheerleading, oh, well, you could potentially yeah, take but, that as quite literally. But no tan tights. I think that's the <laughs> no, main no, thing. No tan tights. No, I'm not sure how that would have gone down. So from there you ended up in Sterling. Yep. And you were in a football scholarship. Yep. I didn't know that was a thing in the UK. Yeah. So um, not like like some of the um, obviously sporting for excellence universities they give out scholarships. So obviously Sterling is is very well and and kind of um, I suppose definitely in the UK known as uh, the you know the sporting of excellence, and uh, they obviously give out scholarships within swimming, tennis, football, golf. Um, 
trying to think of another couple, but yeah, they're, they're certainly the main hub of excellence within Scotland, that's for sure. And so, yeah, got offered a scholarship. The fees were incredibly cheap in comparison to where they were in, in, in England as well. Accommodation was 10 times cheaper than what it was in England. And so I just thought, yes, yeah, at, at the time, at that, at that stage of my life, I was like, yeah, it's an absolute no-brain. I'm going to be able to go and play football. I was going to get basically university virtually for free almost um, after everything kind of came off and I was going to get the opportunity to go and study didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do I did sport and then I thought you know what I better just tag that on with a bit of business studies as well just so I have a little bit more I have a few more strings to my bow I suppose as it were and uh, yeah that was it and it was an amazing four years and one that gave me so much life experience and a lot of fantastic opportunities and a lot of fantastic relationships were born and yeah, it was it was it was amazing. Everyone says university is always the uh, one of the best times of your life, and I look back now and I literally didn't have two pennies to rub together, and uh, I lived in a in a university dorm that was basically the size of a jail room, and my parents came and they they literally were like, you get treated better in jail than you, you have do. a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. you can get you a better room. <laughs> Honestly, the accommodation that I I stayed in, like literally, yeah, we sh- eighteen of us shared a bathroom, eighteen of us shared a shower. Um, like it was, if you look back now I was like his, his mentor my parents were pretty uh, mortified at what the living conditions that I was staying at the time but I absolutely loved it it was like honestly the, the, the best you just don't care you know and you literally just build relationships you have a great time you go out you party played a bit of football did a little bit of studying not an awful lot um, and I suppose that's the first real time I know I'd lived away for a couple of years obviously when I'd been playing football but I had restraints mm-hmm. because you were living in a house that the club had paid for and you weren't allowed to do certain things obviously whereas obviously that was the first time that I was able to get somebody in a shopping trolley and push them down beside the canal and <laughs> let off fireworks. And whilst drinking a bottle of Bucky yeah. which I'd never even heard of before I moved to Scotland either. I've still never tried it. <laughs> I've still never so tried I'm, it. I'm potentially more Scottish than you. You are actually more Scottish than me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what did you graduate with? Uh, so graduated with an um, two one in business and sport. Um, I will be honest, and I say this to most people, when it comes to uh, university, I'll be honest. The life experience that I took was far greater than from what I learned, mainly because I didn't put in as much as I probably could have, and I, I literally kind of walked through it and did the bare minimum until I did my dissertation, which was like on entrepreneurship, and I interviewed ten, fifteen different personal trainers from around Scotland just on why they can't grow their fitness businesses, what are the biggest limiting factors that were stopping them from actually growing and scaling their fitness businesses. And that was probably the biggest thing that I took away from the entire four years was actually getting that opportunity just to spend six months on one piece of study. Research. Yeah, research, I suppose. It was something I was interested in. I was working in the gym at the time. I was doing strength conditioning. I was delivering gym instructor courses, PT courses, and everything else so I was doing a lot within the, the kind of Sterling University facility within the sporting realm business and sports I was like personal training and then the business side of it kind of married up quite nicely I knew that I had a passion for coaching and wanting to help people so that was actually probably the biggest thing that I took away from uni more so than anything else but that was probably more through my application in the first three years definitely um, because I, it I wasn't really that passionate about it and also I didn't put that much effort in because I was too busy uh, trying to learn and study about nutrition, training, the gym and everything else, I suppose. And of the 15 trainers that you spoke to, did you still in contact with any of them? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of them were um, Tony Pang, Lucy Sewell, Derek Patel. Um, 
I'm trying to think who I interviewed back in the day. Tony Pang, episode number nine, I think. Yeah. Great, yeah. So and so like and obviously at these t- at this time like these guys when I did my first bodybuilding competition, which I'm sure we'll come on to, um, people we laugh and we look back at now and uh, Tony Pang back in the day like it was like wow it's Tony Pang he's he's my he's my role model like he's my yeah. idol or whatever and uh, obviously when I when I fortunate enough to win the first bodybuilding competition that I did and he presented me with a trophy it was like literally like yeah it was like a, a like an idle moment now I look back and, and laugh because obviously me and Tony now have presented with each other in the past he's coached me I've coached him and uh yeah like it, it, it at the time was a really good learning curve I, I didn't realize it with the answers that they were giving me because mm-hmm. they were just like is what they're telling me now in alignment with the research on why small and small to medium enterprises can't grow their it wasn't necessarily fitness businesses, but why they can't, they struggle to grow their fitness or their businesses, sorry. Um, so when I look back at that dissertation now and what they were telling me at the time, I think subconsciously, without probably realizing a lot of that has actually been ingrained in what I try to do now and how I then try to move forward, which, yeah, I think was was a really good learning curve. So the bodybuilding, how did that come about? And it's worthwhile before we say the bodybuilding, it's not like a throwaway comment. You've got trophies and you've placed like very, very well yeah. in a regional and a national level as well. Yeah. So what was your official title when you retired? Or, uh, or, so, or can you give us a blast of all your titles? Yeah, so the first show the first show that I did was um like the Scottish men's physique kind of championship, which uh, again was only just really coming out then. Like obviously physique competitions are massive now. But back in 2013, 14. Um, like it wasn't this this massive thing. I didn't really know, apart from Tony Pang, I didn't know anybody else that had done it. And is physique in, in between bodybuilding and board shorts? Or is that- physique is board shorts. Yeah. So that was basically what it was then. So I did that competition and literally out of 25 guys, and again, I was still living in university. I was living with three boys at the time. They'd be partying, getting absolutely smashed. Was that the show at Musselboro? Uh, no, that no. was, it was in Paisley. Okay. And uh, they would literally be partying down the stairs at half nine in the evening, dominoes, there'd be hundreds of people in the house and we had a three kind of um, story house. And I remember literally lying in bed with my with my iPad with a podcast on with a scented candle. <laughs> like, I've got to get up at six to do my cardio, my training. And there were so many times in my head, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm in third year university, but I'll come on to the, like why I got into bodybuilding in a second. But I was just like, yeah, what on earth am I doing? Literally supposed to be having the time of my life and I'm lying in bed at 19 years old with a scented candle, a fitness podcast and waiting to get up to do my cardio the next day. And I'd be getting up as they were coming in. Yeah. And it was mad. So yeah, was fortunate enough to obviously um, win, win that title. So that was like Scottish men's physique champion. The following year, I then entered the same competition and uh, retained my title and then took a couple of years off and then competed in the UK DFBA and like the BMBF um, and I came first in like a northern show and then uh, second in a northern show I then didn't go and do the British finals because in in my opinion I got what I wanted to do out of it mm-hmm. I, I fulfilled my kind of internal drive passion reason why thank you amazing achievement and uh and just decided you know what i'm not going to be a professional bodybuilder nor do i want to be um my passion laid within the ability to be able to now see how far i could take myself and that was going back to your first question the reason that i got into bodybuilding the first point was like i played football 
super passionate um, have always been a competitive athlete in cross country athletics uh, rugby football and obviously when I moved to Sterling loved the gym and uh, managed to get a job in the gym and everything else and retired from playing football due to just a number of different injuries and also not being good enough and also just losing the desire and the kind of the, the real passion I suppose anymore and I was going out three nights a week with the boys, playing football once a week, just recreationally, was going to the gym five, six days a week and just got to the point where I was just like, I'm a competitive guy and I I live and breathe off like purpose. And uh, I distinctly remember one day waking up in the morning after a night out with a Domino's pizza box next to my bed. And I just felt like utter shit. And I was like, what am I even doing with my life? Like, I was just like, I just need to have that sporting fulfillment, that competitiveness, not with anybody else, but with myself. I was like, I need to have that, that reason and that passion. So literally went, went straight onto Google, found a local photographer that morning when I was, when I was hung over and booked a photo shoot for six weeks time. And was like, I'm just going to commit myself to doing six weeks and do a photo shoot and see what happens. I'll prep it myself. I love learning and listening to blog, uh, reading blogs and listening to podcasts and all these different things. I was like, I'll just do it myself and see how I get on. And then off the back of that, that kind of snowballed into, right, okay, do you know what? I just need that, that focus and uh, the ability just to be able to kind of switch myself off, take myself away from the partying and everything else because I needed just to do it for me mm-hmm. more, than, more than anything, which was huge. And that's kind of how then the bodybuilding was born and that, that purpose and coming away from competitive sport. I was just a bit like, yeah, like a lost puppy. I needed something else that was going to provide me with that fulfillment and felt like I was moving forward because at that moment in time in my life, like studying was going okay and everything else, but I just felt lost and I wasn't living up to my full potential. I think that was the biggest thing. And I knew I had so much more that I could do and accomplish, um, which at the time was difficult because obviously... So you woke up in the morning, you were absolutely burst, and ladies and gentlemen, I could really relate to that. It's most of the <laughs> I'm, 90- sure, I'm sure many people can. Yeah, it was most of the 90s for me. Uh, don't do hairdressing, you'll be healthy. Uh, so you woke up in the morning, you phoned the photographer, you said, I want to come and see you in six weeks. What shape were you in, in relation to, I'm not going to say like body fat numbers, but were you already in good shape? Uh, I was sort of like, if you looked at me, I was like, you know, I still went to the gym five, six days a week. I was... Six pack? Yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah, but I wasn't... Action man abs? Yeah, I like... Yeah. But looking at myself, uh-huh. I didn't think that. Like, I look back now and I was like, yeah, do you know what, Joe, you, for a university student and for everything else, you're in good shape. Mm-hmm. You know, like most people, like the, the stereotypical norm is you go to university, you obviously go out party, you don't eat very well because you've got no money and uh, you don't exercise an awful lot and you end up leaving university in worse shape than when you started yeah. because of the lifestyle. So I suppose as like norms go, yeah, I was in good shape because I still like to look after myself, but I knew that I still wasn't in an amazing shape. And I think the big thing here as well was that my knowledge at the time, and even with the knowledge within society, wasn't what it was now either. Mm -hmm. This is only five years ago, six years ago. Um, And so the things and the methods and the ways in which I did it were such great learning curves for me now as a coach, because I've now been through that journey and that process. And what I did, I wouldn't wish upon anybody now. Um, The extremity that I went to, but... The thing that I like to say is like, I like to suck in the sense of like, I, I like to just see how far I can physically and mentally take myself without giving up mm-hmm. and just the ability just to persevere and see things through. So that was, yeah, probably, probably the reason that I got myself into good shape wasn't through the strategic and clever 
um, strategies that I'd implemented. It was just that I was an absolute head case and I will literally just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going um, until I got to where I needed to be. And I did things that, yeah, I wouldn't recommend people do, like dehydrated myself for three days before I did a photo shoot because I read online somewhere that in some forum that that dries you out and all this nonsense, which... You, it, that doesn't happen. What ends up happening is you get severe headaches. Uh-huh. You feel like got a shit, and and you can't function and operate properly. And did you do water loading before or not? No, so that's what I mean. No, not like nothing, nothing of the nothing of the sort. Like literally, it was just like right. Okay, you just need to dehydrate yourself for like three days before. Again, like within that six weeks, the, th- the first thing that I did was I didn't count calories or anything like that because I didn't know what that was back then. Uh-huh. Um, all I just read was on an online blog somewhere was that you just need to drop carbohydrates so I literally just didn't eat carbohydrates for six weeks and again like I got to the photo shoot and I was bitterly disappointed with how I looked because I'd looked at like all these fitness models and these physique guys and I'd given the photographer like the images of this is what I want to look like and then when I compared my photos to them what I what the photos that I'd given him I was like I'm a I'm a million miles away and I was actually really really like disappointed I'll be honest because well a I didn't have a clue what I was doing but b I didn't look like what I thought I was going to look like. Like perception versus reality were two completely different things. Did you think that you were going to look a certain way or did you think you were going to look like the people that you were looking at? I think I was. I thought I was going to look like I could... Back then, probably thought that I would want to look as close to the people that I was looking at, okay. um, which was completely messed up. You know, because a lot stuff. of these people are taking many, many years to get to that condition. Aren't Absol- they? Absolutely, you know, and there was me that had just been party, and I was still a young guy as well, so I hadn't even, you know, naturally filled to, you know, had years and years of training and everything else, and uh, yeah, I, I, I was. I remember I was, I was absolutely devastated, but that was the big thing that then drove me on to go right. Okay, do you know what? I need to be better. I need to do more. And right, okay, there's this men's physique competition, and the thing is, I didn't have the first clue about it, how to do it, what to do, what it entailed. Um, all that I just knew was that I saw it online, decided to tell everybody that's what I was doing, which was then my accountability, I uh-huh. suppose. And that was basically it. And why did you choose men's physique? Um, because I wasn't, uh, as a natural as a natural athlete, um, like at the time there weren't that many kind of natural shows. There was the BMBF, which was a bodybuilding show, but obviously as a young guy as well, like I didn't have, probably have enough muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I suppose as well, the guys that I, were look, I was looking up to at the time um, we're all like men's physique athletes and that was the kind of look I suppose the front of the kind of men's health cover model magazine-esque shape that I'd always aspired to and read when I was younger I used to take my dad's men's health magazines um, you know off the shelves and I used to be in the bedroom doing the press-ups and the bicep curls and I used to like live and breathe like yeah. the men's health cover model when I was 10, 11, 12 and uh, I suppose that's probably always stayed with me and back then bodybuilding was a bit more hardcore i suppose yeah in, in the look and i didn't want to look a like, dungeon gym yeah thick thick neck but, you know yeah. old proper old school back in the day it's changed a lot now um and so i just thought yeah do you know what I, that was the kind of look and the way that things were the way that things were going and it suited my build and my shape and so yeah that that was kind of the that's the reason for the men's physique i suppose i always think men's physique as well looks and this is i'm not saying anything bad against somebody that's like i'm not gonna say a proper bod a you know, but like a big bodybuilder. But I think there's something that looks quick and agile and fast. Yeah. And I think there's more separation, there's more definition. And I don't know if it's like, for me, when I look at somebody like a, a gymnast or a ballerina or a boxer, you go, yeah, you're strong, but you can also move and you can also run. But of course, you know, the thing of, you know, big, massive bodybuilders, it's, it's yeah. different. It's an amazing, amazing discipline. And anyone that is, professional bodybuilder I'm just like you know hands off tremendous 
but yeah, there's there's something that looks like nice different. To be athletic. Yeah, you know, I think that's the big thing. Is I still wanted to be athletic and still I wanted to still be able to move. I was still playing a little bit of football as well, mm-hmm. um, you know. So that was still part of what I was doing. So yeah, like it it was for me like. I want to be able to move and I think Ross Edgley who I know you're a massive fan of yeah. as well I was like you, you obviously didn't say it back then but now looking back at it it was like use your body as an instrument not an ornament mm-hmm. and I think that's something that still even now like moves me forward and don't get me wrong there's some bodybuilders that actually can move and function incredibly well but for me it was like I still wanted to have that athletic look that kind of natural yeah. look and that look that at the time I wanted guys that were my age to think and look that that was realistic, which actually then became my target market when I first got into online coaching. Yeah. Um, which actually served me, which then obviously it served me incredibly well. So I just thought the bodybuilding was a bit hardcore at the time. Old school was a little bit too far-fetched in terms of what I was able to accomplish and my look and was far more catered towards the the kind of men's physique, men's health cover model look, mm-hmm. I suppose. So how did you get from the end of that six weeks where you perhaps weren't quite as happy mm-hmm. what you looked like as opposed to like going picking up stuff with numbers and statues on it? Um, again, I suppose being a, being stubborn. I, I again like even going into the new year. So that was with everything. Yeah, like even, like I suppose with that was that was probably this end of September to the November that I then did the photo shoot. I then decided that the January I was then going to prepare myself for a show for the june the may the may or the june i think it was back then and again i started to have a little bit more of an understanding around kind of calories and everything else and i knew that dropping all carbohydrates and dehydrating myself wasn't going to be a good idea but what i did know is if i could then did a little bit more reading was like if i could put myself in a calorie deficit that would work and then basically what i did was i printed off um a an a4 sheet with six or seven protein sources on it with how much protein they were per 100 grams i think i had four or five carbohydrate sources what they were per 100 grams and then the same with fats and then i basically put those plastered on my on my fridge i don't even know fit, fit my fitness pal might have been around then i don't know or and or i was oblivious to it and i literally just prepared the same meals for 16 weeks based upon those food sources uh-huh constrained I mean, limited myself to the four walls of my tupperware box um i'd heard that doing a boatload of cardio was really really good for um for getting in shape so every morning we lived just below the um, wallace monument which is a big old steep hill so i get up every morning and i'd literally just sprint to the top of the wallace monument and then walk back down and i was doing i was training like an absolute madman at the time i was fortunate enough as well to have a guy called ben who um coached a lot of the high performance swimmers so he was coaching a lot of like commonwealth and olympic level athletes in terms of swimming so he came from a very performance orientated background and he was just training alongside me because he had a passion for the gym and he had an understanding about like coaching athletes not a lot about nutrition but he got to one point where i was about three weeks out from my competition i'd literally i think leanne thought that i'd hated her because i literally had no libido I would tink of a flying monkeys about her. My friends were just like, Joe, what are you doing? Because you're at university, you're living out the four walls of your Tupperware box, you're training all the time, you're running up and down the Wallace Monument like a lunatic, you look like Skeletor. And, uh, you, you keep are, on saying the word turkey. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're miserable as hell. And I got to about three weeks out from my competition and uh, <laughs> ended up getting piles. And if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for that, because that was my body's way. And again, I've never shared this. I've told clients and friends, but never shared this on a 
podcast or anything like that before. And I literally got to a point, I'd never had that before in my life, but my body was that run down and that fatigued because I was literally just hell forever. I was not going to stop because I didn't know any other way. I wasn't being coached. I literally was just like, do you know what? And more, 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 harder, 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 harder. And uh, yeah, it got to the point where, where I got piles and it was the worst experience of my life. And if it wasn't for the swimming coach at the time that turned around and said, Joe, if you're one of my athletes, he's like, he's like, I would tell you to go away, go home, lock yourself in your house for seven days and rest and chill out and not do anything and go and eat some bloody food. Um, I probably would have carried on going and I don't know where I would have ended up because I don't know whether I would have made myself ill and got to the stage whereby I wouldn't have been able to stand on stage, which is why now, again, I'm so passionate about coaching other people to not do the things that I've done through the lessons that I've learned. And I literally went away, rested for seven days, was basically bed bound because it was pretty painful and uh, cleared up. I looked 10 times better from resting. And then I was able to go and do the the kind of final two weeks. And um, yeah, there was 25 guys there, 20 of my mates, about 20 of my mates turned up to watch the show. And oh mate, it, it, yeah, it, it gets me, it gets me right in the uh, the warm fuzzy feeling now because that's just something that I'll never forget. Like just obviously everything that I've been through, even like the ridicule and obviously like this the isolation, to now get to a point where I suppose um, everything had come down to that. And it wasn't about winning. I didn't give a monkey's. Like genuinely didn't have any expectations whatsoever. It was purely for me. So then to go and I had never been to a show before or anything like that. And Instagram was only just coming into, I think I created an account a couple of weeks after my show. Um, and yeah, like that was a feeling that I'll never forget. And obviously seeing those boys that actually had been partying and been taking the yeah. piss, but had always, always been behind it as well. Um, like even just like that support and in the crowd, oh mate, it was amazing. Because that's, so qu- good. I mean, I've been to a number of shows and it's quite a, it's quite a physical stress yeah, and it's absolutely. a huge mental stress being there for the whole day. Yeah. So I can only imagine what it's like competing. But you had to do your poses as well, is that right? Yeah, so you just do a load of poses and then obviously they compare and contrast. And again, it's, uh, some of it's obviously based upon opinion um, and what they're really looking for. And yeah, mate, I was fortunate enough to kind of win, which blew me away. But then afterwards... Uh, that's awesome. Um, but afterwards, I almost kind of went into a little bit of a state of... Depression is completely the wrong word, but lost is probably a better word i suppose for it sense because, of purpose yeah because i'd obviously given so much to that one thing and then afterwards I, again i'd never been coached never been through the process didn't know what to expect so you basically went for i listened to michael phelps on the tony robbins podcast talk about this as well like go from like this massive high to then this like humongous low because the next day you wake up and you've got a plastic trophy which is great but then i was like now what like just didn't yeah just felt and I was so fatigued so tired I'd obviously limited my food for so long Leanne had obviously thought that I was an arsehole and I'd and I was just and she didn't think that but in my head that's what I thought she thought because obviously I'd just given everything to that and hadn't maybe given as much to my relationship and everything else and uh yeah it was just like right okay now that identity that I'd had for so long that I was working towards because you become robotic in nature Mm -hmm. just yeah it was almost like gone if that made sense um but it was an incredible experience and one that i look back on now it's the best one of the best things again that's happened to me for both positive and negative reasons and did you book a photo shoot after it uh no so i no i then basically qualified for the british finals which i then did which was three or four months four months later um but the guys there and the standard and the caliber of athlete was ridiculous so uh, i carried on going and didn't didn't do very well um which was fine that was cool it was again fantastic for me to go through the process and get that experience and then that was it obviously got a load of stage shots and everything else and then the next again year and then started preparing and helping other guys for shows and photo shoots and stuff like that and i competed myself 
um, and then I got a photo shoot then the following again year and if you compare and contrast like where I was at that point to then obviously the year after even the photo shoot to the first competition mm-hmm. the difference in the photos is is fantastic not in terms of muscle mass but in terms of like shape I suppose yeah. and condition was yeah much much great but timing's everything Tony was obviously in the show and I'd said to him you know that, that photo you've got and whatever it was he had on his Instagram that week and I just said, you know, how, how long can you, you know, show condition? How long can you hold that for? And he's like, Phew. he's like, yeah, if you're doing a photo shoot, he's like, you're wanting it to be done within between two and four days. He's like, yeah. because anything after that, it just can't hold it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's unsustainable. And you yeah. need to be able to take your body fat back up to a more maintainable level just to be able to reset a number of different things. Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty. If you're going to do a photo shoot around the show, you want to make sure that I always get my guys to do it either the day after and or a couple of days before. Um, which usually works out best. Yeah, and you didn't have to wear the budgie smugglers as well. Not not that time, but yeah. the last couple of times that I've done it, I've had to wear the budgie smugglers. And are they well. are they hung up for good now? Would you go back to um, it? my values in life and what I want and how I now see where I want to take things and and how I now am f- more fulfilled and have purpose is obviously completely different. So never say never because I'm a competitive bugger at heart, and uh, I always think like, what if? But I'd need to have a real good period of time away training actually progressing building some muscle because i've gone away and done a number of different weird and wonderful challenges to fulfill that probably void or that yeah that kind of thing that i needed to kind of go and do um so certainly would never say never but i i love going out for food and helping other people Mm -hmm. and i get far more fulfillment satisfaction and purpose out of now helping others go through a similar process within whatever remit that is, whether that's to photo shoot, to competition prep, to feeling confident enough in, you know, in the way in which they feel to go on holiday, whether that's just to literally transform and change the way in which they feel about themselves. Like that, that provides me with that fulfillment and purpose far more because I know I can do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I get far more fulfillment out of now actually being able to coach, guide, mental support and go through the process with a lot of other people now. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I would never not do it again, but it's certainly not on the cards with where my life is at the moment. Okay. Uh, Boris Johnson, snog, marry, avoid. <laughs> Only kidding on. Uh, there's obviously lots of people that want to go to the gym yeah. and go to the gym and yeah. they don't get the results that they want. You've made your name, I would say, as a transformation coach. I think that's perhaps where the majority of people know you. Would you yeah. say that's fair? Yeah, I'd agree with that. What is it that makes a good client or what is it, you think that separates somebody from a person that puts in work at the gym and a person actually realizes their physical goal? Okay. I think this has been something that I've learned along the way, especially as I've, I've been coaching now for at the university. Yes, yeah, so I've probably been coaching the best part of seven, eight years, probably within the online coaching realm now, four or five. Um, and I think the, the key common traits is, number one, the readiness to change. Somebody needs to be in a position where they're, they're ready to commit to change. Do you mean checking the ego or just ready to flick a switch? Um, a bit of both. It depends upon where somebody is, I suppose, because, again, I work with a lot of male clients and even myself. Like I didn't want to reach out for help at, at given times because I was a stubborn bastard and thought I can do this myself. I don't need anybody else when the reality was I did. Um, everybody needs accountability in your level of thinking at that moment in time will only take you so far and being able to take somebody else where somebody else has been that you aspire to or you admire I think could obviously give you a lot of leverage and and make a huge huge difference um so I think there is potentially an ego side of things especially now I work with so many personal trainers now obviously 
a personal trainer reaching out to another personal trainer to seek help sometimes is a limiting barrier. Um, so I think that's part part of it as well. And then I also think the ability to flip the switch and I think it's the readiness to change. I think it's about understanding that it doesn't need to be shit. Like it can be enjoyable. Everything that we do now is reverse engineered around people's lifestyle. How can we instill um, positive behavior change? How can we educate and empower people to now be able to take full control of their body, their health, their, their performance, and now not feel a burden to the gym, not now feel a burden to the food and or themselves and how they look in the mirror. And it's about how we can then instill them with the education so they can turn around at the end of the process and actually be in a position where they can A, live life, B, maintain what they've achieved and C, turn around and say, Joe, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate everything you've done for me. But now actually um, I'm in a position where I don't need you anymore, which is perfect. That's everything that I strive towards. So I think people need to be ready to change. I think they need to be able to A, flip the switch. I think they need to have a powerful enough why. There needs to be a pain behind Mm -hmm. it. Um, some people come and they like the idea of getting in shape and I think it's like I talk about the emotional cycle of change quite often like five stages stage one is like January the 1st I'm super pumped super excited this diet's going to be different this is going to be the year that I'm going to finally get in incredible shape and this is going to be amazing and I'm going to start this transformation plan stage two is basically the shit actually this is quite a lot of hard work and actually there's nothing weird wonderful sexy or magical about this I need to now get into the groove and put in the work this person isn't just going to wave his magic wand and make it happen for me. Stage three is the valley of despair, which is basically what's the, what's the point? This is crap. I'm not making any progress. This is rubbish. I'm having to make this sacrifice. I've been going to the gym three days a week or four days a week for the last six weeks. I don't feel like I'm making loads of difference. I don't look like I want to look like just now. Um, so therefore, what's the point? And now don't get me wrong. Stage one to stage three, if you're doing some weird, wonderful, ludicrous diet that isn't in alignment with your life um, and you're setting yourself up for failure, it's literally insanity. And you'll just keep going around in that kind of hamster wheel until something changes. And yes, you then want to go with a different approach. But if you have the right strategy and you can see past the stage two of the, right, okay, you're settled in now. It's not that shiny new object. It's life uh, style. And then you can see past the pitching a tent in the valley of despair, which is what I've, a lot of people are quoted that they, they call it. It's like they almost feel like they're constantly in that valley of despair. If you can see past that and you've got somebody to guide and take you to that next level when emotionally you can start to talk yourself out of things and or you can start to be your world's, your own biggest critic, which I think we all are. You then get to stage four, which is you start to feel and see the changes in the mirror. You start to see your genes getting a little bit looser. You start to see people giving you, you start to hear people giving you some compliments. You start to see the numbers in the gym really starting to like now pick up and transform and change. The number on the scale might be going down. Like you start to see these little glimpses of hope. And then stage five is success, fulfillment. You accomplish and achieve that goal. But then the problem is the goalposts have now moved. Because you'll know what that's like. You'll achieve a certain goal that will provide you with amazing for a day. And then you'll be like, what's next? And then you basically start back at stage one again. So I think it's about also people being able to control those emotions and understand that you are going to go through that kind of like you, I suppose, stage one, stage three, the valley of despair, and then stage five coming out the other side to then be in that position whereby, yeah, you have to be in an emotional state and or have the the guidance or the, an accountability partner through a coach or a friend and have the knowledge to be able to make sure that you can get from stage one to stage five and then be able to maintain stage five because you've been through an unsustainable diet, but it's been sustainable lifestyle habits that have allowed you then to focus on energy and weight maintenance once you get there, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, no, it does make sense. You've got a client that recently we discussed earlier on, Beth, yep. and she... Was she 
was she coachable? Was was she able to work with you? Was there any kickback? Is that is that unusual or unusual from clients? Um, she's obviously Beth's a personal trainer herself um, and coaches a lot of females. And Beth first came to me. She'd done a couple of competitions a few years ago. I'd obviously heard of Beth. Like I'd seen the, how well she'd done. And she basically came to me. She had a lot of digestive issues, uh, was pretty stressed out. Sleep quality wasn't great. And again, when you do bodybuilding again or you do competing, again, there is that extremity side of it. And uh, like she knew uh, from what she told me and, and basically the way in which I was trying to portray, like my goal is not just to give somebody a program, it's to be able to coach them, look after them, look after their health, look after their mindset and make sure that we're not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize any of those mm-hmm. and make sure that we're coaching the person, we're not coaching the process, mm-hmm. which I think is massive. And so she'd reached out to me because she'd heard that obviously that's kind of what I focused on and that's what we're doing. And we spent a year getting her into a much, much better position and into a much, much better place with her own mindset, with her own health, um, to then be in a position for her then to be able to compete again. And that was last year and she did incredibly well, um, had been incredibly successful. She already has a really good following and then decided again this year that she kind of achieved her like pro status within like the WBFF, which is a pretty big fitness federation. And then obviously just a couple of weeks ago, then just kind of won the pro show within that kind of, so kind of became like European champion i suppose mm-hmm. um, within that federation so she's very very coachable because again she's a pt she knows what she's doing she just needs accountability structure yeah. guidance and she also needs to have somebody emo- take away that emotion mm-hmm. to an extent like or to control those so that the decisions that are made are rational not irrational because we see ourselves through a completely different lens to what others do uh, so yeah she was very coachable the kickback is like obviously she she talks about me in a very high you know in a very positive regard and as uh, everyone does <laughs> hopefully most people most yeah. people i just don't see it i'm a well bl- if, let's not get let's get the fucking postcode <laughs> and we'll go and visit them um i'm oblivious i'm just oblivious i shut myself down to that and uh yeah you know i think it's one of those things if i, I don't i don't focus on the publicity i focus on the quality of how i can coach somebody and if i can give somebody absolutely everything and can um, give them a transformation and can empower them and to and I can help them achieve things that they never thought would ever be possible and I can hold them to a higher standard than they're current than, than they are currently holding themselves then I naturally know that through word of mouth and through referrals and through just people talking um, that's obviously going to stand me in, stand me in good stead which it has done over the last four years um, but yeah like there's no like direct kickback you know don't get me wrong there's people that now come because obviously it's like right okay she's done fantastic but as have so many of my other clients as well not even within competitions but within just other, general life yeah just general life as well because yeah i'm coaching people on 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 lifestyle not just here's a training program and mm. crack on it's how can you have a social life and how can you reverse engineer yourself around all these times to be able to be a normal person yeah and i think that was it like for a while i was pretending to be somebody that i wasn't and also was a robot Yes, okay, there are other people in, in the world that can be robots. You can just give them a plan, they can follow it. Mm-hmm. But 99.9% of the people aren't robots. They've got a real life, they've got challenges, they have uh, struggles and they have barriers that they need to be able to um, work around. And it's how you can coach people on that more so than anything else, I think. And me, yet the body transformation is amazing, but I, like, not saying it's the wrong way. Like, I don't care about the... Bef- I don't not care about the before and after photo. I do care about the before and after photo, but what I care more about is what happens emotionally and mentally and how we got from that before to that after. And then most importantly, what then happens after the after. That's the most important thing for me because I can take you and if you said, Joe, right, okay, do you know what? I'll be dedicated for 12 weeks. I'll live like a robot. I'll do exactly as you say. Um, and you'll literally shut yourself out from the world and you got absolutely hammer and tong. 
I can give you a program. You could go and follow it. You'd be motivated. You'd then hate life and you'd be miserable, but you get you get in shape. Mm-hmm. And then it'd be like, whoa, look at this amazing transformation. Steven's done this and done this. But then literally the day after that final photo, you will literally blow out, balloon back up to where you were before. You'll actually be in a worse position than probably where you were when you started. Um, and actually you'll probably be incredibly unfulfilled. So that's why for me, it's like, like I won't take somebody for a transformation. I always use the analogy of we always need to lay the foundations before we build the house. And I have a lot of people that come to me that we need to be able to lay the foundations before we can even build the house, which is the transformation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I'm passionate about helping people transform, but I'm far more passionate about helping people realize that they have far more in them than they think they do. And they can accomplish and achieve far more than they think they can do. They think they can. And, uh, also to stop conforming to what other people look like, think, or have done and to focus on their own journey, their own path, their own excellence and now being proud and setting standards and setting goals that are in alignment with them and what's um, going to be realistic with their lifestyle, which is which is massive. You're obviously a very easy person to get on with. You're a great listener. You've got good emotional intelligence. You're obviously a bright person. How do you find when you've got to give somebody like the bitter truth or you've got to... I don't want to say hold the mirror up to them, but you've basically got to confront them with either a weakness or perhaps they're, I don't want to say lying to themselves, but I suppose they're, they're kidding themselves on. Do you find that easy or hard for each person? Uh, I think that's something I've developed. Um, I'm a very, I like the, the, the word I'll always use, I, I like I'm a sensitive snowflake, like I'm, a, I'm much more of a lover. I'm not a kind of straight down the line kind of guy. I haven't been. I think certainly over the last year or two, I've certainly learned that trait. I'm far more a people pleaser than a straight down the line. This is exactly how it is. So I think certainly working with like a communication coach in the past and now obviously having certain mentors and now having developed and learned, I think certainly now it's about how do you go about that? Because again, a lot of people, if you tell them that they're shit, they're not doing good enough, they're lying mm-hmm. um, you're, and you're calling people out. I think that can be very difficult. And then you just ruin relationships. And again, you ruin trust. And again, it can be little people. Whereas the majority of people in life are already getting shit thrown at them every single day at work mm-hmm. with family life, with finance, with whatever it is. Everything constantly is quite negative. So like my goal every single day is how can I have a com- every single person I have a conversation with, how can I empower them or how can I make them feel that little bit better about themselves in like a positive in like a positive way so let's say for example you I was coaching you and you weren't doing what I knew you were doing you weren't doing the work that I know you should be doing and you weren't getting the results and you're going do you work that out from photos uh everything so data feedback so we look at um like progress I look at basically based upon and again that comes for experience I Mm -hmm. suppose back in the day I wouldn't have known Whereas now, like I know it like the back of my hand, the way in which somebody tells me the, the kind of terminology and the language that like, so most of the time, yeah, I went to the gym most of the time this week or no. um, <laughs> on average, my cal- on average, my calories were there or thereabouts. So I'm like, well, they're, you know I mean, those the certain types of language that people use that you know whether they're doing the work or they're not doing the work. And again, it's they're not calling them out on their bullshit. It's just like going, right, okay, Stephen, listen, this is where we're at based upon what we're currently doing and the progress that we're currently making, if you're telling me that you're doing absolutely everything to 100%, I would foresee that in my experience and based upon the hundreds of transformations and people that I've worked with before, we'll be making, we should be making progress. Now, a couple of things that I want you to do for me is like double check 
Everything that you're doing is, is exactly what you tell me that it is. Because one of the biggest reasons that people struggle to lose weight is for like underreporting. So they might like underreport the amount of food or if they're recalling the amount of it, the food that they've eaten for the day. So a bit like you said, what do you have for breakfast? You're like black pudding, um, scrambled egg. And that was an hour ago. Yeah. You know, so at the end of the day, like people recalling information and stuff like that. So it's like, just double check everything that you say that you're doing for me, make sure that you're doing. Again, like, are you training with good training intensity? Are you managing your steps? Are you doing all these things? I don't care if you're not. It makes no difference to me. Like, we don't learn anything from a perfect week. Mm -hmm. So it almost puts the ball in their court in terms of like, I just want them to go and double check that they are doing what they said or what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then that gives me the opportunity to then come, they, they, they can obviously then come back. And usually that works quite well. So it's not, Stephen, you're shit. Get your, you know, get your act together. You're not doing the work. Because, yeah. And that's the other thing I'll say is like at this moment in time, like clearly your goals and what you want to achieve are maybe potentially out of alignment. Mm -hmm. So now what we need to do is potentially take a slightly different approach because sometimes people come to you and they have these big aspirations, these big goals, I'm willing to commit and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. I'm like, cool, not a problem at all. But then the reality is actually they don't have time to do that. You know, so then we have to realign and recenter their expectations, their goals and what they're able to achieve. Yeah. So I think sometimes it's not like, yeah, you're not doing the work. I try to flip it onto them, make them double check that everything is what they say that it is. Tell them that I don't care if they're lying because I'm human. I mess up and I make mistakes and my recall of information isn't always accurate. And uh, also... I just double check that what we're working towards actually is in alignment with their purpose, their reason, mm -hmm. and, their, and their kind of their why, I suppose. And if it's not, then that's not a problem. There's no, there's not an issue with like realigning our goals, but we just need to make sure that we're crystal clear on doing that. And that's not a failure. It's just a slightly different path. And the way I see it is like a roadmap. There's always going to be obstacles, uh, speed bumps and car crashes along the way. And it's basically how you can then potentially take more of a scenic route or how you can potentially stop off sometimes and yeah. take a bit of a break before then you can continue on because life is dynamic. Your body's dynamic. Your transformation is dynamic and it's about how we can adapt to those circumstances. And what about technique? Cause obviously like that can be a bit of a hard one in terms of training. Yeah. Um, obviously with online, everything that we do now is like my goal has always been from day one. How can I make online as offline as possible? Mm -hmm. So through um, phone calls is obviously massive. Video is obviously massive, breaking down communication barriers. Uh, and then obviously the thing that we do is obviously we've got a, a client hub where basically there's hundreds of videos of basically me recording and talking through exercises. So within programming, there's notes, there's exercises they can watch. And also I get them to send me over kind of training videos mm -hmm. that I can... Um, feed the back on in terms of execution just go, that's not a dumbbell that's a barbell <laughs> yeah absolutely and you do get that from sometimes but then i think the other thing about that which then gives people that understanding the other thing is as well with the clientele that i work with now primarily being personal trainers the majority of personal trainers should trust me there's some that don't um know what they're doing um and therefore it's obviously easier and then it's just those refinements for me so i think even in my earlier days like clients that come to me in an online interactive basis need to have a level of competency yeah. before and if they've never had a person if they've never trained or stepped foot in the gym before then what i advise is that they then actually go and seek out some coaching from like a local trainer rather than me and i'll give them a, a recommendation if i know the area mm -hmm. um because actually online coaching just now probably isn't for them because they need to go and learn the movement patterns yeah so so then it comes just down to i suppose your morals and ethics and just making sure that everything that you're doing is right for that person and you're not just taking somebody's money and promising them the world and then 
giving them with knowing full well that yeah. they're actually not in a position to be able to do that. Your business is now moving towards coaching PTs. Yeah, so I suppose go back a couple of years. Um, like it was originally J Physique, which was born out of off the back of my competition. I started that at university when I was in my fourth year doing my dissertation because everybody wanted to be coached by me. Um, off the back of the conversation, say everybody, everybody didn't want to be coached by me, but there were a lot of people that did want to be coached by me. Um, off the back of the competition, and I wasn't able to facilitate that, so I was like, I'd just start online coaching and uh, was doing my dissertation, working 20 hours in the gym, was running and building my online coaching business on the weekends. And I kind of graduated from uni and was doing okay, like with the online coaching and everybody else was getting graduate jobs. And I was like, what am I, I going to do? I don't know. I'm making some money off this online coaching. I love it. I live it. I breathe it. Um, I'm very passionate about it, but I'm not sure. Like my parents, like they won't mind me tell, tell them, you know, saying this. They thought the bodybuilding was stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, when are you going to stop doing this stupid stuff? And they also thought me going it alone was like, yeah, like they want to protect me. They want me to go and get a, a you know, like a, a good quality job, I suppose, that has safety and employment and this structure and everything else. So, it was a little bit unknown to me, so I continued on, pursued, still worked to the university a few hours just to make sure that I could cover cover my, my living costs, I suppose, essentially, and then got to the point where I couldn't manage all that time, had to cut that away, and then J Physique was kind of born. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years ago, I got to the point where I couldn't facilitate any more clients. And if I wanted, like my, my vision and my mission and, and my kind of thought and and my kind of focus is how many people can I impact and have a positive influence on? And at the time, I'd been coaching a couple of guys down in Preston. I'd been coaching a girl in Sterling and also my training partner at the time. And uh, they'd all been through the, the J Physique journey transformation. They'd been with me for two to three years. And I then realized that in order for me to be able to grow and expand and get the, my name and brand and reputation and also like my uh, coaching practice, I suppose, out there a little bit more, they wanted to come on board. They lived and breathed what I did. So they basically quit their jobs, police officer, defense lawyer, defense solicitor, sorry. And then also somebody worked in um, like Prudential, so within like the office and then finance. And then basically came on, came on board, did their PT qualifications and then became coaches underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually probably alongside, underneath is probably the wrong word. Um, and that gave me first-hand experience, obviously, working with, you know, coaches at the time in terms of obviously helping them with the business and their, their own fitness journey. And then I started just getting inquiries and inquiries just with more and more personal trainers that wanted coaching mm-hmm. who were too busy because they were looking after all their own clients. They'd lacked, you know, they, they now felt bad because they felt like a bit of a fraud because they were spending all their time giving other people advice. And now they got into an amazing shape when they first got into the industry, but now they're so busy serving everybody else and not serving themselves. And, or, do you know what? They just wanted to learn. They wanted to level up. They wanted to progress and get better. And at the time, obviously, out of, I'm sure, a lot of other fantastic coaches that, you know, basically came to me. And then that's kind of where I've now found my kind of niche whereby I now want to take the stress away. Mm-hmm. And I want to be the guy that looks after the vehicle that helps other personal trainers um, grow their coaching business to make sure that their their vehicle, which is them, uh, that's, that's going to be the one thing that's going to be moving forward and it's going to be looked after whilst they can continue to grow their coaching business. So it's lifestyle design for fitness business owners, essentially. And are you finding that more rewarding or um, different? I think definitely. I think it's obviously got a different, like the way I see it, the same with the coaches that I took on initially. 
loaders in the background uh, the way that i took on the coaches initially i think that it's incredible to now see the coaches that work under the brand which is tjp and now getting phenomenal results with their clients they quit their jobs they've got flexibility um they're living their passion and to now like without even being involved to have seen like a small piece of what i've done or what i created or founded and then then to have ran with it and taken it on board and it's all their hard work like I gave them the tools. They're the ones that have gone and implemented to now go and see them getting incredible results and helping transform and change their lives is exactly what I wanted to do from day one. And that's kind of exploded what I ever thought was possible. So now helping other personal trainers improve the quality of the standard of the fitness industry. Now, by no means am I the go-to guy to improve the standard of the fitness industry. But what I do believe is that I have a level of standard education, knowledge and experience whereby I think that I can help people mm-hmm. um, to level up and improve. And also the average personal trainer earns less than a McDonald's worker. And the average personal trainer, I believe, goes out of business within the first two years. Now as a society and as an industry, I think that personal trainers are essential, coaches are essential, but I think the standard of personal training is terrible. Where'd you put that down to? I think probably like you can literally go on Groupon and get a six week personal trainer course for 49 quid and you're at the barrier to entry to get into the fitness industry is very, very low. You know, you wouldn't get that for a doctor or a dentist or anything like that, you know, whereas the standard is so, so easy. And uh, often now these personal training courses are potentially like weekend courses, six week courses, five day courses. So there's not a lot of standard. So there's not many kind of standards, I suppose. Um, which is why then you get people that like going to the gym, like training, have got in shape themselves or have been through some transformation journey and thought, oh, do you know what? I'm going to start training other people because it's easy. You get paid X amount an hour and I can work by and do my hours that I want and I love being in the gym. But the reality is there's so many other moving parts and there's so many other things that we need to look at in terms of understanding human behavior, mindset, actually having business acumen um, and being able to then operate and understand, right, okay, who are you trying to target? Who are you trying to speak to? How can you actually relate to your market? And how can you now ensure that you're delivering coaching guidance in alignment with your expertise, your qualifications, and also um, what you believe in as well? And you're trying to do the best by these people and get them a result, not just take the money. Um, so for me, I was just like, yeah, I've, I'm working with a lot of fantastic other personal trainers at the moment, which I'm humbled and privileged to, to have the opportunity to do, to feel in that position just now. And uh, to be able to know that I'm taking the stress away from them, they're now looking after themselves. So they have the opportunity to have more energy, better performance. They're walking the walk and talking the talk. And they're able then to give more to their clients mm-hmm. is amazing. And on the other end of the scale, I'm working with a lot of new personal trainers that are getting into the industry that I'm hopefully trying to impart some of what I've learned into them. So hopefully that they have the opportunity to make this a fulfilled career that they're actually able to be rewarded from, from financially um, and also rewarded from in terms of impact, freedom and the results that they can get with their clients, which I think is massive. So I love it. I live and breathe it. And uh, I think we have, I say this to coaches all the time, like the greatest job in the world. Like you have the opportunity to transform and change somebody's life, which I think is incredibly empowering. And I don't think there's, there's, that's invaluable in my opinion. And there's not many other jobs or professions, I think, that allow that to, you know, that you work this closely with somebody that you actually genuinely have the tools and the ability to be able to take them from this state of where they're not happy, they're unfulfilled, they won't go out for food, they don't feel confident um, with the clothes that they wear, they don't like going swimming with their kids because they don't want to take their top off um, to a point whereby now they 
don't fear food. They can go out for a beer on the weekend. They feel confident with the way, with the way in which they look. They feel attract that their partner's attracted to them and all these different things that we, I suppose, in society see now almost as like, you know, like norms and the industry is just pumping out all this information and it's confusing to now be able to just kind of take away the bullshit, mm-hmm. give people the simple actions, give people the empowerment and the confidence to be able to back themselves and they are better than they think they are and to be able to take them from a position that they are really not happy to a position that they never thought would ever be possible, I think is something that is just, yeah, like is invalid. Like, yeah, is amazing. You spoke earlier on about uh, having to train people emotionally as well as physically. Mm-hmm. Do you find it, it's a different type of tool you're having to use with the personal trainers? Are you finding you're getting the same problems or think, same challenges? I think obviously, like what we talked about at the start, I think obviously initially ego's one because it's actually getting, and I say this to personal trainers all the time, I say this to other coaches all the time, it's like you coming with me is not me to now bombard you and overwhelm you with information and advanced strategies to show you how great I am because I don't care like, like about like what you think of me in terms of all these weird and wonderful and magical things that I can now do that I can blow you away with to make you think that I'm amazing at what I do. It's like, how can I make this so stupidly simple for you because I know that you're busy enough mm-hmm. that I can take away all the nonsense and just give you the, the applicable information that you need at the appropriate times, which actually helps enhance their quality of results that they get with clients because some PTs want to be able to give their clients like these weird and wonderful and magical things to make them think that they're a genius. When in fact, actually what we need to do is simplify the heck out of the process. So I think that's the first thing that I do is like how I coach these people is like, I, I, especially mindset for me, it's like, I'm not better than you um, and don't think that. And also my goal and role here isn't for you to think that I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. My goal and role here is to simplify everything that we're currently doing to make it applicable for you. And you will look at this and think this is simple and easy because it works and it doesn't need to be weird and wonderful. And if you can then follow that and then you can put that to your clients as well, then amazing. So I think there's obviously that that side. I think obviously the ego, getting people through the door, um, which I suppose touches upon the last point. And uh, I suppose the other thing is with personal trainers, I had a converse, three or four conversations with people last week is I suppose imposter syndrome, like in the sense of other personal trainers fear what other personal trainers think of them. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you're me or like other coaches that work with other personal trainers, those other personal trainers are not going to put money in your bank account. They're never going to be want to be. They're never going to want to be coached by you, mm-hmm. and uh, they probably aren't your friends. In all honesty, so you need to stop giving such a fuck about what they think because they're not your paying clients. So you need to be able to now have the mindset where you need to have complete clarity on who you're talking to, who your audience is, and how can you now make it stupidly simple for you to become like the go-to person within, let's say, for example, like Leanne, my Mm. partner, talks to girls and she doesn't talk about like use big words. She uses toning and weight loss and flabby bits and, you know, like terminology that, that, that women use, not like terminology that now another personal trainer is going to go, man, it's not called toning, it's called, you know, fat loss or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like just dropping that. It doesn't matter what these other people think. It's about you just focusing on, on, on your market. And I think that's how I coach now more mindset in terms of being able to just get them to block out and just get crystal clear on their vision because I know that's been a barrier for me in the past. Mm-hmm. I was too worried about what other people thought that actually I wasn't able to then authentically be me or truly be me because I was always fear of judge, a fear of being judged and also fear of wanting other PTs to look at me and think that I was good at what I did. Mm -hmm. When quite frankly, they weren't paying me. 
Um, and also, it doesn't matter whether I'm me or I'm somebody else. They're going to judge me in regardless. So I might mm-hmm. as well just be myself. Fair enough. A, a lot of people are talking about journaling. A lot of people talk about daily habits or you know routines when they get up in the morning. Yep. Do you follow any of that stuff? Massively. I think it just needs to have action behind it. I think personal development is something that has taught me so much and I think has been a massive thing for me in my life and has given me so much in terms of podcasts, audiobooks. And I don't know where I would be now without having the access to that information. I think journaling again is fantastic, but it needs to have it needs to have implementation behind it, not this kind of like fluffy stuff of I'm grateful for the sun and the stars and the clouds and my dog you know because like, we live in scotland don't get sunlight <laughs> <laughs> that's why yeah um, and it's just now like looking at it like right okay i think journaling is important but i think it then needs to have actionable implementable stuff that you now need to go and do and take action on so absolutely look at your mini wins look at the things that are going well in your life just now and start to appreciate the small things because that's where you'll gain fulfillment and purpose but then i think it's also something whereby you also need to become accepting and aware of the things that you're currently challenged by, the things that you're currently struggling with and become okay with actually accepting that it's okay to also write and acknowledge those things down Mm -hmm. instead of just trying to bury them away. Because I think when you're just then trying to think about gratitude or journaling and all this positive stuff, but actually there's underlying stuff that you're just kind of sealing over the cracks with, with that stuff, you're then still not providing the solution to the problem if that makes sense you're just covering it over i think we used when we talked at the wedding it's like a plaster yeah you know you're just literally trying to put a plaster on it when in fact actually do you know what if you can then use the journaling as an opportunity to see the positive but you can then also use the journaling to see what you're currently challenged by Mm -hmm. i think then that allows you to let your subconscious take over and i also think um it's a fantastic opportunity for you to become more aware and accepting of the current challenges instead of just letting them eat away at you but then you're focused on all this happy clappy stuff when in fact there's still this stuff that you still need to deal with and i think that's a big thing that's changed but yeah i'm a massive kind of plan my day plan my week what are the things that are most valuable important to me that i want to have in my week what are my Mm non-negotiables so like my training my dog walk every day um having dinner with leanne every single day um spending an evening a week going out for dinner like all those things are like really, really important to me. Having X amount of holidays per year for me is massively important. We want to travel, see the world, uh, become more cultures, cultured and have the opportunity to have our eyes open. So mm-hmm. that's a huge value of mine, um, as is food. And then I think it's about then, right, okay, what are then the other ingredients for you to then also have a successful and positive week? What do you need to action and implement both in your business? And then also what also do you need to action and implement on your business that's going to move the needle at that little bit more? So yeah, I certainly think that journaling, personal development, gratitude has its place, but it needs to have meaning, it needs to have thought, and it needs to have action, Mm -hmm. steps that you can actually take um, instead of you just mumbling some words under your breath about something that's making you happy just now. Great, fantastic. But then there's also, that needs to have some substance, I think. Mm. You spoke earlier on about coaching and why coaches are so important for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, how have you found your coaches and what did you look for in them? The thing for me was I wanted to make sure that they wore the brand on their sleeve um, and somebody's people that I can trust implicitly. Now, these people weren't even in the fitness industry, weren't even personal trainers. They were passionate about it. Um, and I think like it's like I would much rather take on somebody that was raw 
and had been nur- not nurtured, but had been through the coaching process and stood and believed for whatever, you know, for, for what I stood for, but in their own way. Like mm-hmm. I don't want them to be carbon copies, but I want them to have invested in the same kind of principles and believe in the brand and believe in what I believe in, which I think is huge. I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do. Like my strategies are the best, but I certainly think that if you can have somebody that comes on board that believes in it, mm-hmm. that's massive. Um, and the, the, the guys for me had personally invested in and paid me on a monthly basis for the last three years, bled TJP, which is basically what it is, Team J Physique, um, which is the, the, the name for it. And uh, I just thought, you know what, that's what I look, that's what I'm looking for. It's just like people that live and breathe the brand that will quite happily put their name to the brand that uh, will stand for everything that it means. Mm-hmm. And they know it like the back of their hand as well. They've been through the process, which I also think is massive. Um, and now they're able to go out and put their own stand on it mm-hmm. instead of getting somebody in that's already experienced has already got their way and their perception and that might be better than mine mm-hmm. but then obviously what happens is we end up clashing heads and then it's not congruent and or in alignment with where we're going and what we're doing so i'd much rather have somebody that was newer mm-hmm. rawer but super passionate super invested in the brand had been through the process and then obviously we're able to they were then able to develop mm-hmm. themselves and create their own meaning and i suppose create their own philosophy Mm -hmm. but under the big philosophy that i've hopefully tried to instill over the last four or five years and what about when it comes to your own personal development where do you choose your coaches um like podcasts and audiobooks have been a massive one for me for like the last six years. So Stephen like, Rownshaw, of course. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That was a stat. That was a, that was a given. Oh yeah. That, that, that Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, podcasts, audiobooks, a lot of reading, a lot of seminars, um, a couple of close friends as well that I obviously now go and reach out to. So obviously like now most, now most recently, obviously Neil McLean, who's been on the podcast before, um, like an absolute wizard within digital marketing. We were talking earlier, um, like an absolute gentleman and will do anything to help you and has this big old vision of himself and is so super passionate. So clashing heads with him. Um, and then most importantly, reaching out to like my own mentor, which is Phil Graham, who's been on the podcast as well before. I just got to the point where my level of thinking only took me so far and I realized at 26 years old, I don't want to look back in 10 years time and think, I wish I did that was when I was 26 and I didn't, and I, and I was able to drop my ego mm-hmm. and drop the, I'm okay, I'm bimbling along, I'm doing all right for myself, I can just learn it myself and just now leverage what he's done. I followed Phil for five, six years, had seen the evolution and the change in him, uh, has seen obviously where he currently is. He's also a young dude, which I took a lot of like inspiration from as well and could relate a lot to, I suppose, at that level. And so I thought, do you know what, Joe, if you, if this is the investment that you now make and you don't get your money back on it, that means nothing. That's nothing. But at least you can then look back and have complete clarity. You went all in. That I went absolutely all in. And if I learned and took one thing from it, fantastic. And uh, yeah, that's what I did a couple of months ago. And it's it been incredible. Like my change of thought process and just having somebody now, again, much like I say to people, Coaches need to have coaches. Yeah. Having somebody within that realm, again, to almost look after my emotions, to have somebody that looks after my coaching practices, businesses, somebody that I can look up to, who I admire and I appreciate and I respect, and who's been in the trenches and has been through what I've been through, that can then offer their words of wisdom, much like I try now to do to other personal trainers, I think has been absolutely invaluable for my motivation. The, my strategy and having clarity over where I'm going and what I'm doing, it's 
been a cloud that's been kind of lifted because now I can see the wood for the trees far more clearly because somebody's mapped it out for me and they've been able to give me, right, okay, you're here and you want to be here. So this is how we do it because he's been there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. I've also had other kind of coaches myself. So I had um, a guy called Callum that coached me last year, like in a fitness realm. Uh, Tony Pan coached me three or four years ago and he was a massive part of like my learning process because I went on board with him when I was fairly new became very good friends with him trained with him all the time he'd obviously been in the industry for a number of years and I was able to leverage all of what he'd learned his experience and then bottle that up and put that into my own way which was massive um, and one of the best things that I've done and so yeah I suppose like there's been a few guys and uh, yeah I think that's kind of really 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 it I'm I'm a very internally focused and driven person. I like to yeah listen and read, but I think reaching out to those specific people have been absolutely pinnacle in my progress. It's strange that that thing of like saying I need help or you're further along. Can you put me in the right direction? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had Tony in the show and it was, it was fantastic. And then I actually phoned him and said, listen, I've got this problem in the gym. Like I just can't connect something in between here and here. And he's like, oh yeah, that's totally normal. He's like, yeah, they come down to the gym, signed up doing a session with Tony. And it was really, really weird because like I woke up the next day and I felt completely different and not yeah. like that. Oh my God, Dom's like, I can't move. It was just like, there was there was part of my body which mentally I now had a connection with, yeah. which is really good. And you can't help but thinking, yeah, if you'd committed yourself to like six months of that, then... Yeah, it's life-changing. Like, if you commit yourself to something for six months, it's incredible what you can do. And I think it's one of those as well. It's like even myself, like A, dropping ego, B, accepting that it's okay to feel vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and I, I said this the other day on a post, it's like other people now reach out to me because they're vulnerable. They need my help. They need my support. They need my guidance. But then as personal trainers so often, we don't do the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you can do that and accept that actually the quickest way for you to learn is to be able to learn from others who have been where you've been and or are far more experienced within the field that you want to be able to learn from, mm -hmm. whilst it's an investment, um, it'll be the best investment that you you can make. And it's about looking at it from both a positive and negative. What can you take from it that's positive? Then what can you take from it in the sense of this is what this person is currently doing and maybe that's not how I'd like to operate or function or maybe I'd actually maybe like to do that a little bit better or better for me mm -hmm. or a little bit differently. And I think that's the other great thing about it as well. It allows you to then see what it's like to have the light shined on shone on you yeah and for you to be coached which i think is is an is a is a completely different thing of you coaching somebody else yeah massively so with the year almost coming to a close how far are you from ticking off all your goals for 2019 um i think everything that i wanted to achieve Shit, I, I need to get this edited out before the end of the year now <laughs> <laughs> i'm expecting this up next week well, i might be up tonight we'll see <laughs> um I think the big thing for me this year was for me to be able to look at, okay, like a massive thing that I always talk about and uh, one thing that I looked at when I did my cycle last year was like focus on the process and forget about the outcome. Now, I have goals and targets that I want to be able to achieve and accomplish um, for internal intrinsic reasons and also targets just for me to be able to have something to work towards and aim towards. But sometimes I realized I think it was last year I set goals and I think I set about 15 goals and I think it was November time this time last year and I sat down and I was like fuck I've accomplished three of them I think or something like that but the empowering and positive thing was that when I looked at all the others 
I was either on my way to accomplishing them and or I realized that actually what I was trying to work towards wasn't in alignment with actually what I wanted. It was just cherry picked and maybe it wasn't that meaningful and wasn't um, congruent with where I was in my life at that moment in time. So I think it was for me about accepting that goals are fantastic. They give you the target, mm -hmm. but then it's about how does that then um, translate to then the process. And I, I'm a massive believer in the process rather than than the outcome which is massive. So I think, yeah, absolutely. Like I completed a half Ironman this year, which was amazing. Uh, again, with very little, very little training, didn't own a bike, could swim 25 meters uh, with, and then I was completely out of breath. And uh, that was a, a hugely fulfilling and an enjoyable experience. And that was my like physical challenge for the year in terms of like targets and goals with like personal things. I've exceeded those like family are massive to me and everything that I do is completely um, in alignment to what I can now provide and give to my family and my parents and what they've done for me so like that's a huge driver and a huge motivator for me like financially mm -hmm. um like you know it's not necessarily the materialistic things and stuff like that my my focus is very much on how can I now look after them after they've given me so much so like being able to do a couple of nice things for them has been another good goal Mm -hmm. uh, and box tick the problem is now they expect it so now next year just it's, it's their, their, their expectations are now just getting bigger and bigger and bigger so i think i've i've made i think i've shot myself in the foot there but um yeah four weeks in the maldives yeah 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 about a weekend in butlins yeah yeah so, seems, seems fun <laughs> so yeah so from that side uh, i may like you know positive but i'm much more of a process kind of guy rather than an outcome kind of guy because once I achieve an outcome, the thing that I realize is then, okay, you've just cycled the length of the UK. Right now, I'm going to think about cycling the length of the UK and back five times because doing it once is I've done it once now. So what's next? Doing half Ironman. I was like, well, okay, now do you know what? I might as well do a full Ironman. You know, accomplishing this in, in business or in my personal life is, like, okay, I've done that. So then what's the next level? So I need to be kind of controlled, if that makes sense, because otherwise I just get excited. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, boom, like a kid in the sweet shop and I end up going a little bit wild. And so I think it's just about, okay, where am I just now? What are my kind of weekly targets, weekly goals? What actually is making me fulfilled and happy? Because I think sometimes we talked about this off air when we're eating all that amazing black pudding. With the tremendous bread. With the tremendous bread, yeah. Thanks, that, Leanne. That tremendous Thanks, homemade Leanne. bread. Um, was like sometimes we chase things because we think that it's going to make us fulfilled and make us happy when in actual reality it couldn't be further from the truth and i think so often we're looking towards this thing like okay when i get this or when i do this or when i accomplish this or when i have this many clients or when i make this amount of money or when i go on this holiday or when i drive this car that's going to be it when <laughs> exactly and whereas it's like it's far more about what you're doing today and what are the things that actually are like for me, like simple thing I say, like the, the me walking my dog is the, my favorite time of the day. Me sitting down of an evening, lighting the fire is one of my favorite parts of the day. You know, like they're the simple things in life that provide me with so much fulfillment. And to be able to now have those as like drivers, how can I make sure that everything else is moving forward, but I can still have those kind of pieces of the jigsaw i suppose that are hugely valuable to me mm -hmm. and how can i just make sure that i don't get complacent and and or lose sight of those things in the at the expense of trying to chase something bigger that may not be in alignment with yeah actually what i really want so we talked earlier on about the cycling mm -hmm. so uh i met joe at the wedding and i was talking about my thing of doing a rowing in the gym and then he started talking about cycling so you can tell me if I'm wrong here. You'd never really been in a bike that much. You didn't own a bike. 
and then you decided to do an unassisted apart from Leanne and Lola uh, cycle from John O'Groats to Land's End. Yeah, that's correct. I, when on. did this idea come up and why didn't Leanne say no? <laughs> I think she probably did say no. I think she thought I was a lunatic. Um, one, I hadn't ridden a bike since my paper round when I was 15. <laughs> so that's, that's genuinely the truth. Two, no, I didn't own a bike. My dad um, had to send up his bike from Devon uh, in, in, in a box. And then I had to learn how to basically cleat in and cleat out. Uh, and for the first two months of training, I cycled on cleated pedals with trainers because I was petrified of cleating in on, yeah. on a road because I was nervous, nervous enough going on a road, let alone cleating in and out. So I thought being strapped in would be the worst thing ever. Um, as I said at the start, like I've, I'm this guy that might not be the most talented geezer, but I will always work my absolute ass off. And if I put my mind to something, I Where know. Where does that come from? Um, I think that's probably been instilled with my parents, I think more so than anything else. Just realizing that I think just knowing, and my granddad, like you said, what you, what you make up in, what you put in is what you get out, what you make up, what you lack in talent, you make up in hard work. And uh, I think one of the things that my granddaughter used to say to me is that like when I used to play football is like leave it out or leave it all out on the field and have no regrets. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing for me is I like, have no regrets. And I think the other real distinct, just like, kind of distinct moment in my life was I was running cross country at 15 years old, traveling all over the country, running in muddy fields and doing all sorts, which was crazy. I look back now and I'm like, what an absolute idiot. That's horrible. Um, but I'd, I'd, managed to represent the county uh, like an English like UK national um, cross-country championships and um, my dad and my stepmom had traveled up from Devon to Liverpool to watch me race and uh, I'd always been used to winning like athletics and cross-country I come from quite a small village so it wasn't hard to be like you know I wasn't in this massive school where there was loads of like hundreds of amazing you know, sportsmen there were a few but like I was always like the one that would win the races and everything else. And I've been used to winning so often that I entered this race and it was hard and I was going up a hill and I must've probably been, there's about three, 400 runners and I must've been probably about 200th place or something. And I just got to the point in my head where I was like, I can't keep going. I'm not going to win. So what's the point? And so I faked a hamstring injury and uh, the medics came on to the field. I got escorted off in a Land Rover and, uh, that's something that has stuck with me for the rest of my life because that guilt and that fear of that the way in which that made me feel that when I gave up that remorse that feeling of letting my parents down the feeling of letting myself down I think was like one thing that's always stuck with me and I've said this on a couple of social media posts like that is the, like I will never give up now like I will never stop because I will remember that moment that I did that and uh, that has stuck with me forever. So I think it's my family, my granddad mm -hmm. that's instilled that in me. And uh, also seeing my parents work their absolute ass off, especially um, my mum. And then, yeah, I suppose that, that race was a pinnacle for me. It's like understanding like, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, but at the end of the day, it's about you making sure that you do what you said you were going to do and complete what you said you were going to and not be a pussy basically mm -hmm. and, and, and quit just because it got a little bit tough Yeah, because there are far more people going through far more struggle and difficulties than, than you currently are. And so I think that's probably where that, that, that kind of came from was that kind of relentless attitude to, to literally never quit. Um, where this cycling challenge came from was, yeah, literally just thinking, listen, I can stand in my pants on a bodybuilding stage 
I've done that. Um, I can play football. I can do cross country. Um, like I was in a position with where I was working with a lot of clients in business and I had flexibility and a little bit of freedom um, and had a little, I didn't really have much time, but I had time to give to something physical. And one of my clients um, had just been diagnosed with leuke uh, leukemia. Yeah, leukemia. And um, one day I had to go and shave her hair off at the hospital. And uh, probably one of the... I, I was honored to be an ass because I was literally just her personal trainer and her coach, but also her friend. But also at the same time, I felt such a responsibility and going to visit her every single, like we were close, but you know, we don't really talk that much now, but like, is that, that Lola? Um, but we would talk, like we would talk and I'd go and sit with her and she'd talk about life and just going to the hospital to see her every week was like pretty difficult. And just made me realize and put a lot of things into context. I have like this mental fortitude to basically do so much more and accomplish and achieve so much more. And I've been so selfish in my life to be able to accomplish and achieve physical um, feats mm -hmm. for my own personal gain, I suppose. And now how could I just do something with my physical capabilities and my mental fortitude to be able to now just give something back? So after I'd kind of shaved off her hair and everything, and it was, it was a, I would say it was a, an enjoyable experience. What I mean by like, it was like an entertaining experience. Like she was very lighthearted. She took it incredibly well. And something that I thought was going to be quite emotionally difficult, whilst I felt like it was quite tough, it was actually she was that strong-minded in the way in which she kind of atta like attacked everything was incredible. Um, thankfully, she's okay now. She's been past it and everything else, which is amazing. And I just sat there and I just thought, you know what, I need to do something that just has a little bit more meaning, that I can just give back and just do something that has a little bit of purpose. Um, and even if I can just do something so small that would just have a little bit of a difference, I feel like I've done something that has been selfless, mm -hmm. um, then that will provide me the fulfillment. I thought about running a marathon and doing these different bits and bobs. And I thought, ah, like if I want to do something, I don't know why I just always thought, like, why don't I just cycle the length of the country? Like it randomly. And it was, and so I just said, and I said to her at that time, I said, I'm going to do something like to, to basically raise money for cancer research. And I don't know what it is just yet, but um, like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do something with with what I can do, and she just kind of took it on the chin. And was like, yeah, okay, whatever, I might do like a bake sale or something. I didn't know, like a, a cake sale or something. Yeah. I don't know, but I just had this in my mind, and uh, it took me a couple of years to get round to it. And uh, yeah, basically asked the guy at the uni who was a sports scientist to just give me a little bit of a pro program. Got my dad to send up my bike, my bike, his bike, which is now basically my bike, <laughs> and uh, started training didn't really do an awful lot of training. I uh, probably should have done a hell of a lot more. I did one 100 mile ride and it literally almost killed me. Um, I couldn't walk for days afterwards. I literally was about 10 miles away in Creef and was cramping going down the high street. My legs were cramping so bad and I was screaming at the top of my voice. And all these people were like, who is this lunatic on a bike? Because every time I pedaled, my quads were cramping. I'd stand up to try and take the cramp away from my quads and then my hamstrings were cramp and I'd sit back down and it was the worst. And then I was like, shit, I've got to do this 10 days in a row. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a route. We hadn't really planned accommodation. Leanne was going to follow me in the back of the car with Lola, who was a puppy at the time. I was like, what the hell? We were in Italy the day before as well. So we literally had to go from Italy to London, wait over in London, fly from London to Scotland, pack the car, drive to John O'Groats, which is about six hours from here, and then start. And uh, yeah, it was it was the best thing that I've ever done in my life. It was it was unbelievable. Uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but one of the most fulfilling. And it just that honestly like taught me so much about life. 
not business or anything like that just definitely just about life i suppose and what's important and what's not important and how do you get through like it was a thousand and three miles i think in total um and yeah how do you like overcome the challenges how do you now wake up every single day and go right okay this is what i need to accomplish and this is where i need to be by the end of the day how can i now break that down how can i now mentally switch myself off or mentally help make myself get through this and um also just made me realize that yeah what what was important in terms of money living relationships because all i literally wanted at the end of every day was a not to die and be hit by an arctic lorry b a cozy warm bed and a shower c some food Mm -hmm. and d to see leanne and lola and that was literally all that mattered i didn't care about business i didn't care about materialistic things i didn't care about anything that was literally it and i think that was just like quite a humbling experience in a sense and i know people do even more extravagant and incredible things i have nothing other but admiration for that Um, and i know on the other scale people going from couch to 5k is also an incredible challenge Mm -hmm. and i think it's all relative to every single person but i think it teach whatever you're doing i think it teaches you so much about yourself and i think everybody takes different lessons from it which i've certainly been able to use now in my life and also hopefully give to some others as well you said at the end of the at the end of the cycle you stopped yeah. and you said it was quite an emotional thing. Oh, massively. How did you feel like in the following couple of days? Because you said when you are talking earlier about transformation yeah. thing, you were saying that sometimes when people finish it, there can be a bit of a lull when you said obviously with your bodybuilding, when you come off stage like, you know, a couple of days after. How did you feel after the cycle? Uh, like I said to you, I was just... I said to Stephen at the wedding, obviously, literally, he's like, what did you do when you got to the end? I was like, I literally cried for about an hour and a half. I literally did, like, just all that emotion of those 10 days and, like, all the shit that you go through and all the challenges that you go through to then get there. And also what it meant as well, like, for me, it was just, like, a personal thing. So many people told me that I couldn't do it, shouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, Um, you know, which is also not a personal kind of, that was just a thing that just kind of only pushed me on more so than anything else um so it was i was incredibly emotional for a few days um but then after that again exactly the same it's just like right okay do you know what you just go back to normal life and it carries on and you're a little bit lost and again the same i just felt a bit like meh don't get me wrong i couldn't feel certain parts of my body for a a good few months afterwards and uh, my knees were in absolute agony i'd done some kind of like tendon and ligament damage just because my cleats had got loose so like walking again and uh, also libido was, uh, was, 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 was at an all-time low for a period of time because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't feel things for, for a little while having sat on the bike for that long and having never sat on a bike for that long in the past. Um, yeah, things have gone a little bit numb. But yeah, I, I was a little bit lost, I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, I was incredibly grateful for what I'd been through. I hadn't fallen off, got injured, hurt myself or anything like that so yeah it was just then on to right okay actually do you know what mate it made me realize i've got so much more and right okay i've done that and i've ticked that off the list and i don't want to say that it was easy mm-hmm. but now like my standards of what i think is possible has now gone up another notch because at that time that was a massive thing but i think once you accomplish it it'll be like you when you do your rowing and once you accomplish it it'll be hard you'll have a few days to reflect and then you'll be like right okay how can i now make this even harder yeah so like even for me i'm like thinking about should i cycle John goes to Land's End, then back up again. Why don't you cycle down and then 
run back. Rollerblade. A rollerblade. <laughs> yeah, you could cycle down and then you could spin back. Yeah, could do. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But, and then these all these weird and wonderful and stupid ideas go through your head and you're like, okay, now I could do this, I could do this, or I could do this. Um, but I think it makes you realise that you're capable of so much more. You know, and I think that's it. And it wasn't a physical challenge, it was a mental challenge. Like physically on the first day, I got 60 miles in, in the middle of John O'Groat somewhere and it was lashing it down with rain. There were sheep and cows in the middle of the road. The hills up there are massive. Uh, the wind was blowing. I was soaked wet through. I was shivering um, and my legs were cramping. And I was like, I've done 50 miles. I've got 950 miles to go. And this is terrible. And on the first day, I had to get Liam, went to the Airbnb that we're staying at and got everything sorted, unpacked the car, sorted Lola and uh, put some food on. And on the first day, I had to get her to come back and drive behind me because I was struggling that bad that I had to literally get her to just drive because normally she would just go off and make stop and I'd just catch her up. Um, but I literally had to get her to come back and drive behind me for the last 15 miles because I, was, I thought I was spent. I was like, I didn't have any more. And like for me, that was so demoralizing. Cause I was like, I've not even done one day yet. And mm -hmm. like, I'm already now really- You're only really, human. I'm already really, really struggling. I know. But then it was just that thought of, again, focus on the outcome. Yeah. The outcome is you still got 950 miles to do. The process is, right, okay, can you just get this next 10 miles done? Yeah, just get it done. And that was the big thing for me. So that, that's then that, that, that was the big learning curve. It was like, how can I then forget about what you need to do and where you need to be in 10 days time? And why can't you just focus on where you're going to be in 20 miles time? And that's what I did. I then chunked everything down into- 10 mile segments I'd then reward myself with loads of soaring when I got to the top of a hill I'd set my sat nav into like three or four or five lots of 20 25 mile segments so it wasn't like you know when you go on like a car journey it's like you've got eight and a half hours to go and x amount of miles you're like oh my god it was like you are two hours away you've got 20 miles to do and I reached that town I'd stop I do that with a packet of biscuits and just like just <laughs> do just do one biscuit like every minute, that's yep, fine. Exactly. So it's just like, that was the thing for me is that how could you break down that big audacious goal and then set it into little kind of sizable digestible chunks that mentally you could process because otherwise it's a bit like getting in shape. Mentally, the process of being from here and getting to here seems so far away that it's impossible. Mm -hmm. But if you just get started and you focus on the process. And you enjoy the process. Yep, exactly. You enjoy the process. Final question. Uh, we ask this of all our guests. You can take as long as you want. What advice would you give to someone that is struggling in life? Reach out. Definitely. I think that's a massive one. I think so many people suffer in silence when they really don't need to. I think actually reaching out um, to somebody that you've been wanting to reach out to, but potentially been scared to and or felt vulnerable to, I think is, is one of the biggest and one of the best things that you can, you can do. I think sometimes we can get lost in our own head. And sometimes when you've got a certain thought process and also let's say the chips are down and you've had a couple of bad things happen to you, I then think that I've had, certainly had this. You then think naturally the world is against you and then everything that happens circumstantial in life, you then almost potentially see through a negative lens. And I think sometimes it takes you to be taken out of your environment and have somebody then empower and or get them and help you see a slightly different light. And I think even just communication, building relationships and also understanding, right, okay, well, what is the problem? What is causing you the big issue at the moment that's um, impacting and uh, leading you to struggle? Um, and then what can you potentially do to influence it? Understand that it's not gonna be changed overnight. And it's one of those things that if you can start to then focus on the smaller little things, you can become aware and accepting of the worst and I think when you can you accept and become okay with what the worst is, 
that allows you then to be able to move forward, I think. Um, certainly that's how it kind of functions in my head. If I think about something, I think about the worst thing that could happen, then at least I've already come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. And then that allows me then to move forward. So I think sometimes that's a, that's a good thing. So I'd certainly say reach out. It's okay to feel vulnerable. Um, it's okay to feel lost. And uh, I think it's okay to be uncertain, unsure, and lacking clarity. And confidence is something that doesn't just happen. I think confidence is an accumulation of small little things that happen compounded over a period of time. And I think if you can just start that domino, you know, you can start that kind of ball rolling, I suppose. I think then you start to figure other things out. But I think instead of bottling it up and hiding it away and just locking the locking the uh, locking the key and you know locking the door and then throwing away the key, I think sometimes it's about being open enough to be accepting of that challenge or of that struggle and then start to figure out a way of getting around it and or seeking help within whatever profession that might potentially be and or person, family member, friend that you know will be able to take you out of that. Um, because I know certainly in my time, like I've not massively struggled, but have like everybody had their own personal struggles. And I think sometimes when you, the, way, the best way to get out of it is when you reach out and or you can start to see things through a different lens and a different light and you can start to just focus on, right, okay, how can I start to build momentum? And once that momentum starts to build, then it starts to have a positive effect. And I think one of the best books I've ever read regarding that was a book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And he just talks about basically the compounding effect that success and failure is basically on the same paradigm. But basically you either make an accumulation of positive decisions that move you closer or you make a series of decisions that take you further away. And I think sometimes when you're further away, you then just keep making those decisions and or you can't see how to get out of it. Um, and also when you get comfortable, I think a lot of people as well then start to get comfortable and then start to make those negative decisions and go back. Whereas if we could, able, we're able to then instill and ingrain those habits and move, keep moving forward, then nothing's ever going to be perfect. Everybody's, um, perf- everybody's perception of success and fulfillment and happiness is all completely individual. And if you can start to not base your happiness and success based off a highlight reel of what you see or like you said about my Instagram mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, I think and you start living to your highest values and your highest priorities, um, good things will come. Excellent. Couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. Certainly reaching out is a big one. Joe, thank you very much for having me round to the house, uh, getting to meet Lola, having an amazing breakfast. You've been all right. Fantastic I'll, give it, bread. Yeah, I'll give you an 8 out of 10. Yeah, You're the, not the, being that annoying. Yeah, at least a 9 out of 10. <laughs> you reckon? Yeah, my hands never been so clean. I smelled quite so much of dog saliva. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Uh, as always, it's great to have these conversations. If you are struggling in something which is not unusual, then reach out. It might be the Samaritans, it might be breathing space. I don't know what country you're listening to. And it might just be like speaking to your mum, your dad, your partner, or whatever. Sometimes when we have a problem, we hold it on ourselves. It just kind of grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think sometimes the best thing to do is talk to share. So self-care that's what it's all about so like share subscribe a retweet rename your firstborn only if you want to if you've enjoyed the show then like it tweet it or whatever and used to think all that stuff is important but if only one person likes it then that is enough for me and if you share it great and if you don't then understand there's lots of content out there uh thank you for tuning in if you want to see more of joe joe where can people get hold of you uh probably instagram which is just joe parish um and or facebook as well as uh, joe parish body composition consultant 
there we go. Go and check it out. Give it a look. His Instagram is amazing. There's this. Uh, uh, do you still have the photo of that in that amazing suit? Yes. It's got an amazing suit. You don't believe it. <laughs> it's, it's a seriously, seriously nice suit. Uh, anyway, folks, hope you're having a fun weekend, whatever you get up to, and uh, see you soon. It's the Stephen Rowan Show. It's Stephen Rowan. Stephen Rowan. Stephen Rowan. Stephen Rowan. Bringing you entertaining and inspiring guests. <laughs>